Hello everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Aldi Anime Podcast. It is Friday the 1st of May. Yes, everyone, we've made it to the month of May. I am genuinely quite shocked about that somehow. I don't know why, but I am. I'm Jeremy Graves, and I am joined, as per usual, by what I hope is a very uh, well-rested and, and recuperated from having some time off, as it were, Mr. Andy Hanley. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm somewhat rested. I'm, I'm also very confused as to how it's May. Like, I'm not really quite sure what happened to April, but it somehow seems to have vanished. So I guess I'll just roll with that. Like, I'm, I'm starting to suspect, I'm, I'm not one to peddle conspiracy theories, but I'm starting to suspect that people are just stealing time from us while we're all stuck indoors because there are definitely no longer 24 hours in the day there are definitely no longer like 30 something days in a month Some, something is going on that's all i'm saying <laughs> Do you know, it's really weird just to sort of have a look. i'm gonna be honest with everyone as well this is the first time me and andy have talked for about four days so chances are this may be just a bit of a catch-up between us as well as a great thing yeah i mean this is the first time I've, I've basically spoken to another human being in four days let alone anything else so, oh you know. god wow. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of thoughts in your brain right now but it's interesting because from from our perspective working at Anime Limited, we're at this point really sort of getting into the throes of preparing to to be at MCM Comic Con in London, which is normally during like the, the, the last weekend or second to last weekend of May at some point. I think it was meant to be the second to last, if memory serves this time around, but obviously yes. has been postponed. So normally we're we're sort of knee deep trying to get ready for that. But it's uh it's a bit different this time because obviously we ain't. <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's gonna it still hasn't quite sunk into me yet um but i think yeah like when we get later into may like as somebody who's been to every london comic con for like a decade it's gonna Likewise. be it's gonna be a really weird feeling to not have that happen like it's it, it's kind of strange how you sort of get so used to there are certain kind of like landmarks in your year that you sort of everything revolves around and you know for me london I was going to say Scotland loves London. Like this shows how how uh, me, me knows that's the name of the episode. Yeah, this, this 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 is what happens when you don't talk to somebody for the best part of a week. Um, but yeah, like MCM London and and Scotland loves anime are kind of like you know two of those placeholders where like everything else kind of revolves around that. And so yeah, not having that is is going to be exceedingly weird. I think that's partly why I'm so confused as like where April's gone because like you say, that's often when our kind of ramp up really starts in terms of what are we doing, you know, who are our guests, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And because we haven't had that very specific kind of cadence, you know, normally have like an MCM magazine that we're in the middle midst of kind of, you know, compiling and getting ready to, to print. All of that stuff are all kind of, you know, lines in the sand that I just haven't had in, in the same way this year. So yeah, it's uh it's it's gonna be it's gonna be weird not not having that uh that little jaunt in my calendar. Yeah, and it, it, it obviously because we haven't got the MCM to, to, to I'll say to worry about, but that's the wrong word to use because that's not what's currently going on for us at work. We've got tons of other stuff going on, like which most of which we can't talk about because of NDAs and stuff. People, sorry, not to be that guy, but just saying. So there's tons of other things going on that we're working on, trying to make sure we just can keep going, can keep bringing out new releases and such. But it is weird just to know that 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 specifically MCM is not part of our just our workflow this month. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's going to be weird going forward. Like if if assuming it does kind of go ahead in its rescheduled date, you know, that's going to be a, a whole a whole other kind of confusing thing because suddenly, you know, it's uh, our entire year is going to be turned upside down in a completely different way because things are going to be in the wrong places. Um, but 
yeah, I, I guess things being weird is our new normal at this point. So we'll probably just it's, it's going to feel weird when when normality does return. It's going to be like, oh, we have like a, a schedule again. This is strange. Well, you know what is currently normal, Andy? What's that? AllTheAnime.com, our official website <laughs> of us, All the Anime and Anime Limited, the the, uh, the UK's largest independent distributor of Japanese animation, be it on home video, digital, and of course, when the world allows it once again, in the cinema. That is the company that we represent. And right now, you can take advantage of a brand new product that we have launched today on our AllTheAnime.com online shop. That being a new collector's edition set of Shinichiro Watanabe's series, Terror in Resonance. It'll come packed, it'll come packed in a rigid case. There will be an Amory to hold the Blu-ray discs. There will also be a new storyboard booklet, which I believe is the entire storyboards for episode one, if I remember correctly, Andy. Mm, yes, yeah, it's a really nice little edition. Obviously, we, we previously put this out in, in Ultimate Edition form, um, and, uh, you know, it's a, a very nice Ultimate Edition it was too, but it's a great series. You know, Shichiro Watanabe doesn't really need to be sold any more than that, although I will. Yeah, okay, can I soundtrack also? Um, it's, it's a really great show. Like, I really love Terran Resonance. So uh, but for people who, you know, missed out on the Ultimate Edition or, or want, you know, a, a different presentation of it, this is this is a really nice set, which, yeah, has some some cool new stuff that we've been able to, to get our hands on. So uh, hopefully people will be, uh, will be suitably impressed. Indeed, and I'm sure there might be some people out there wondering, like, why are we releasing this Collector's Edition? And to be... To be quite frank about it, in some ways, Andy, you know, our Ultimate Edition is a release that we are immensely proud of at Anime Limited. It was one of the very first Ultimate Editions we even did as a company, and it's forever a big part of the staple of the history of our company, but that Ultimate Edition is now out of print, and we do hear from people asking, is there any kind of Collector's Edition version? And so, kind of akin to what we did with A Silent Voice back in, it would have been very early this year at this stage, where we the original collector's edition was long out of print. I think it was even out of print before it actually was on general sale. So we sort of brought out a new collector's edition, which has got a few bits and bobs with it. You could kind of think of it like that, except the Terror and Resonance collector's edition, Andy, is slightly different in that this storyboard booklet has never actually been available in the UK before. Uh, yes, yeah. So yeah, as, as I alluded to, yeah, this is uh, this is something new, something we've been been able to get our, our hands on uh, post that uh, that ultimate edition, which yeah is, is kind of partly why we've gone back to to revisit it because it is a a series that is beloved of of us in the office. Uh, obviously, its director is is also equally beloved of us. So you know the the fact that we had access to to some new materials it kind of made sense given that the the ultimate edition is is now you know unavailable it sort of made sense to to make sure it's still uh, that, that we can put together a kind of a, a nice set for for folks so uh yeah hopefully uh hopefully it will, will go down well indeed and you know be it you might want to buy it for someone as a gift you want to add it to your own collection it's just a cool little thing to have available more than anything so that's why we wanted to make sure that you could add that to your collection if you wanted to and there is a special pre-order offer on that which is good until thursday the 7th of may that is this coming thursday on the date we're releasing this i don't know why i was gonna try and be fancy with how i said that i tried i failed sometimes it happens folks <laughs> but you know what else is currently available to order as well? Our new releases of Ajin Season 2, the Eureka 7 Complete Blu-ray Series Collection Set, which is one of the, the recent products of ours that is exclusive to both our AllTheAnime.com online store and Zavi.com. Also available to those two stores specifically, the Testament of Sister New Devil Season 1 and 2 Limited Edition Blu-ray Set. 
That is also available exclusively at allanime.com and Zavi. And they're all going well, Andy. I'm hoping to be able to get unboxings of all three of those products up over the course of the next few weeks because I did get a little delivery, as it were, so I've just got to try and figure out how I'm going to do this. And hopefully I'll be able to get an unboxing up in some form, be it at our blog or in video form on our YouTube. Hmm, cool, yeah. The, the ones of our brave new world, like still, still trying to figure out how to make a lot of the the things that we uh, we normally do and take for granted when we're in a in an office, uh, and trying to to make those pipelines work. But uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely we're definitely getting there, figuring some things out and, uh, and making things happen. So uh, it's all all good. Exactly. And of course, next week we're releasing Gundam 0083 as a Blu-ray collector's edition set, a set which has gone down incredibly well with folks just on pre-orders alone from, from all the stats that we can see. And I'm looking forward for people to getting that in their hands because you've, you've talked about it previously on the podcast, Andy. You got a chance to watch it. I do have a copy of the 0083 set. I shared some pictures of that yesterday on our Facebook and Twitter specifically. And I'm looking forward to finally being able to give that a watch as well because just it looks so damn cool just looking at some of the footage. Yes, yeah, be be interested to tell your thoughts on that, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice to see how how well that one sold. Because I mean, you know, having recent recently released stuff like Gundam Wing, which I think you know we all knew, hey, it's a classic, it's beloved of so many people. Like this is definitely gonna fly off the shelves. I I wasn't so sure on Double O Eight Three. I wasn't sure as someone who's not kind of you know in deep with the Gundam fandom of like where it's at in terms of popularity. But uh, the people answered with their wallets. So uh, I guess now I know people. Really like Gundam 0083. Yeah, and I will make mention as well that if people want to read up more about what Gundam 0083 is, at our blog today, blog.alltheanime.com, and I'll put a link to this in our show notes on the blog as well, uh, for this episode of the podcast, I should say, Andrew Osmond, who is a regular contributor to to our blog, has got a, a really, really good piece about Gundam 0083 and explains why it's not only just a really great Gundam in its own right, but also at a really good Gundam for newbies as well. And he goes into a couple of paragraphs of explanation, sort of the basics you need to know. But essentially, you could jump into this as a first-time Gundam fan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think as long as you've got a kind of a cultural osmosis of like what happens in original Gundam, which I think a lot of anime fans do in terms of the broad strokes or, you know, again, you could just go and read up on that stuff. Like as long as, as long as you're aware of like, Oh, this is kind of where this comes from in the, in terms of this timeline of just, you know, there was this conflict. This is what it was, the basics of what it was about. That's kind of all you need to know that aside. It does, uh, it does sit pretty well as a self-contained thing. So I guess moving on from there, Andy, let's talk about some of the things we've been watching. On Monday, was it Monday or Tuesday at this point? It, it all blends together. Earlier this week, we <laughs> we uh, we talked about Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex 2045. I've had some great reaction to that. People also really enjoying the fact that we did a spoiler-free discussion on it. So if you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you want to hear about that particular new Ghost in the Shell series, and also just our own experiences with Ghost in the Shell and a little bit of a UK history perspective on it as well, then by all means, give that that a listen. But uh, but Andy, what have you been checking out this week? Because you mentioned actually at the end of the Ghost in the Shell episode, there was something you were thinking of talking about, but you decided to save it for today's show, didn't you? Uh, yes, yeah, I hadn't quite finished watching it at the time, and, and now I have. Um, yeah, while I was kind of on the Netflix bent, having, uh, having kind of watched um, all of Ghost in the Shell Sandlane Complex 2045, um, I, I was reminded uh, by by a certain someone um, that, that there was one uh, Fate franchise that I had not actually watched yet, and that was a uh, Fate Extra Last Encore, which is is on Netflix. So I figured, well, you know, I can't, I, I can't as a good upstanding anime fan like not have watched every Fate thing ever. 
Um, <laughs> so actually, I still haven't watched the original, the very original Fate Stay Night anime, to be fair, or, or like the Unlimited Blade Works uh, film that, that came kind of as, as part of that. Um, but, but that aside, um, so, so yeah. I, 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 sorry to just interject, but I guess the first thing that springs to mind here, which might help to kind of gauge where the heck this actually falls, where is Fate Extra in the chronology of everything to do with Fate and that has been released in anime form? It is very much kind of a spin-off series. So it's kind of in the same vein as something like Prisma Elia um, and that kind of thing. So it sits outside of the main kind of like Fate story. Um, if you want an elevator pitch for it, because I know everybody loves my one-line elevator pitches, it's basically Cyber Fate Stay Night on the Moon. Um, so it's See, uh, as weird as it sounds, because I just I haven't indulged in the Fate franchise before, that... that that means nothing to me, but when I hear the words cyber and moon in a sentence, you have me intrigued. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say, like, this is not really a series for people who are not familiar with Fate Stay Night. Like, it very much kind of relies on sort of the, the backstory of that. Um, but effectively, it's kind of the, sort of the idea, and it gets really complicated to the point where it kind of becomes a bit of a mess in, in my head but basically the, the idea is that the whole fate universe is based around this idea of kind of a holy grail war um the winner of which gets the holy grail which effectively lets them you know realize whatever wish they like do whatever they like effectively um and so you have masters who are kind of the people who are competing in this war and they can call upon servants who are kind of historical figures brought back to life and effectively reincarnated for the duration of this war um and so fate stay night is very much a, a very kind of literal interpretation of that uh, fate extra is effectively kind of the idea is that some kind of like scientist effectively has tried to harness that power but in a sort of a virtual world effectively so all of this stuff has sort of been created digitally and i don't know there's 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 a whole thing where this is all kind of hosted on the moon um and so <laughs> kind of the the series the series effectively starts in what seems like it's a pretty normal like oh here's a school setting and it's like okay you know main character is a high school kids um but then they start talking about like bodies and people just start dying and there's a big morgue and it's like oh this is a bit weird and then basically somebody effectively hits the reset button that just kind of wipes out almost everything um because it turns out the whole school was effectively just a selection process to find like the masters to to serve in this in, in this kind of conflict um and uh it's sort of there's almost a slightly i mean there have been fate extra video games um and you can kind of see the video game side of it um come out of this because that's what it's adapted from because basically the entire premise is you've got to move up through the various levels of this kind of it's effectively a dungeon really um and so you know you've kind of effectively got a boss fight at the end of each of each level of this of this kind of uh, of this strata um and you know each each level has a theme etc etc um and am so I, it, am i going to get shot if i make a sword art online comparison here in saying that sounds very familiar yeah i mean it's kind of yeah it's it's your typical kind of rpg i think the fate extra games were kind of rpgs i may be wrong i will probably get shot if, if i'm wrong for that um but yeah like it's very much it has a very video gamey setup and it's very kind of obvious where where its kind of roots come from in in that sense um i mean it's an interesting entry into the fate franchise because again a lot of people don't like it simply because it's not ufo table like you know there is very much and, and that's the studio who have been known to animate slash produce the, the other incarnations right 
Yeah, so I mean, the, the original Fate Stay Night was Studio Dean, which like you know nobody kind of really likes anymore because UFA Table have kind of had they've done a lot of Type Moon stuff. So like Type Moon is kind of the group that have done you know are, are responsible for Fate and things like Garden of Sinners. There's a there's a whole there's a whole universe kind of like a, a cinematic universe one might say like around kind of the, the core kind of ideas and the sort of magical elements etc etc so, so um, they but, are the ones producing the type moon universe essentially um but yeah like they they have done all of kind of what people consider the the good kind of absolute sort of canon fate stuff so like the unlimited blade works tv series the heavens feel movies that we're currently in the midst of um they did carnival phantasm that's a whole thing that i could talk about all day um and uh, Gundam sinners was them so you know they have incredibly high production values and they are kind of seen as like the gold standard effectively for, for anything that's uh, that's fate related um whereas fate extra is animated by shaft um and it has it kind of feels like it kind of feels like the weird offspring of fate stay night and madica magica in a sense because like the kind of the character designs and the visuals um have a very sort of madica magica-esque feel a little bit a little bit kind of kizumonogatari slash bakamonogatari as well like in terms of character designs um, but it's very much kind of it, it is a very very clear shaft production, which I am all in in for because like I'm I'm a big fan of like the way shaft stuff looks, especially Madoka Magica. Um, like there's one I think that the most kind of striking part of Fate Extra is like there's a there's an entire kind of floor of this dungeon, if you like, that is effectively a kind of a weird sort of twisted sort of Alice in Wonderland esque thing, um, and it's. Uh, a lot of the design work is uh, done by uh, Gekigan Inukari. He did a lot of the stuff in Madoka for like the witches, etc., etc. Um, and so it has that kind of really striking visual style. It kind of feels like you're watching a few episodes of Madoka in terms of how it's all presented. Um, and that stuff is all really good. So a lot of people are kind of turned off Fate Extra because like, ah, it's not UFO Table. And I can kind of understand it. Like it's a very different looking production and it doesn't have quite the same levels of polish. But I do actually really like the visual style, and I think it actually lends itself pretty well to a lot of this series. Um, so yeah, I kind of enjoyed it. Like it's not it's not the, the greatest kind of fate thing. Like I certainly, like I said, wouldn't recommend it as a jumping on point. I wouldn't. I'd probably only really recommend it if you're kind of you know if if you really want to watch all the fate stuff. But you know, it's there on Netflix. It's thirteen episodes. Uh, kind of weirdly split across two seasons because there's like 10 episodes and then the final arc of three episodes is effectively season two, quote unquote. Um, what? Yeah, like I, I don't know whether it is. I, I forget how this works in terms of like the production timeline and like when it came out in Japan versus the rest of the world. But basically you've got 10 episodes that is season one that is most of the story and then it leads into the final arc, which is season two, which is three episodes, but the final episode is double length. So it's effectively four episodes. This sounds like a weird, like, Transformers season three and season four in the US conundrum. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I assume it's just, like, the way they, they kind of wanted to split it out. I mean, probably knowing Shaft, they probably ran out of time and then had to split it into second season. But uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I know, it's it's... It's it's entertaining. Like I, I I kind of enjoyed it. Like it has you know it has it has some some of your favorite uh, fake characters. Like Rin Tosaka is is an important part of it. Um, I mean the main reason I was kind of press getting into watching it was uh, that it, it has uh, the, the main kind of like saber class character is is quite a 
uh, quite a well-known and, and kind of a beloved one in kind of the, the fake community as a whole, thanks to stuff like Fake Grand Order, etc., etc. So, uh, so you know, it was very much uh, I, I was very much on the hook that I kind of had to, to watch it for, for that character's appearance. Um, but yeah, it's enjoyable enough. Like you know, it's uh, if if you want to dig deep into you know all things fate, it's certainly it's certainly not a bad show to watch, and it's it's you know you, you get enough out of it to be worth your time. I'd say. Oh, there we go. And I suppose then just to sort of because you mentioned this, it's not a good jumping on point for a new person. At this point, what would you say is a good jumping on point for anyone who uh, wants to give Fate a try? Like in your yeah. personal opinion, because you said you haven't seen the original, so like, where did you start? Yeah, I mean, this this is the the eternal argument that uh, you know some people are very vehement over where you should start with Fate, and uh, you know some some people thankfully are, are less so. I mean, for me, I started with Fate Zero, which is like the Gen Ilibuchi prequel to Fate Stay Night, um, and that's the the reason it's contentious is that it's it's very much a bit of a chicken and egg situation because if you watch fate zero without having seen any of original fate stay night, you are missing some of the kind of layers of things that are happening there. But at the same time, if you, if you watch fate stay night first, like there, there are things in fate zero that are, are really good lead into like the, the proper fate stay night story. Um, so I'd say depending on, on how you want to take it, I'd say either fate zero, uh, which is also a UFO table, um, work all the fate stay night unlimited blade works tv series uh which is is also you know a very good that that is you know the proper fate stay night story one of the story arcs within it and that is really good as well so i think either of those two will serve you equally well to be honest but people will argue it very passionately one way or the other oh well there we go so fate extra is on netflix right now everybody if you want to go and check that out I suppose moving on to some things I've been watching, Andy. Now, admittedly, I didn't get a chance to watch as much as I'd hoped because I was actually planning to watch something else this lunchtime. But Pete behind the curtain, I, 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 uh, what's the way to put this? I misjudged how much shopping I hadn't done earlier in the week. <laughs> so I had yeah. to rapidly go out and get some stuff at lunchtime knowing I was kind of going to be working a little bit later than usual tonight and the shops might be closed. So that kind of affected things. But I am going to start off today with the third episode of Tower of God. Because mm. I wanted to carry on watching that, and it's been a few weeks since I, I think I last talked about it on here, and since I've watched any of it, literally. So I kind of thought, you know what, let's jump back in and just see how easy is it to jump back in. Now, you'll recall that on the last episode, I talked about how it introduced a whole bunch of other characters, including Rack Wraith Razor, still one of the best <laughs> names, and uh, how it, there was kind of like a test involved, and it kind of started to drip feed some general world information and kind of giving you more of an outlook as to what is exactly going on. And it did it in a really very digestible way. So following on from that, it, this time it was very much based on, on the concept of teamwork once again. And focusing on Bam, the main character, Kuhn, who is sort of who's a bit of a mysterious character, who's someone that almost befriends Bam, but sort of seemingly hasn't totally yet. And then you've got Rack Wraith Razor just being a, a big, bumbling oaf. Still the best character. In this episode, we get a bit of backstory into Coon's background, which I had no idea what it could even be, but there was a tease in the second episode to like, hey, maybe not trust him so much. And it was just kind of left at that. In this, they elaborated a little bit as to what their backstory is, and I'm still not entirely sure what to think of it, because without sort of trying to spoil it or anything, 
what they seem to imply a couple of things from the way I took it, and one of them has me confused very greatly about <laughs> it. So it'll be interesting to see if they follow up on that. But what they also do is, and this isn't a spoiler by any means, but it's to try and give a comparison so people could probably understand. I think it's fair to say, Andy, that the biggest curveball in the first 12 episodes of Sword Art Online, and this, this is going to be a spoiler for specifically for like season one of Sword Art Online if you've not seen it yet, so just keep that in mind, folks. But the biggest twist is how the, the Einkrad arc ends and how mm. soon it ends, right? Yes, yeah. With the way that that battle like came out of nowhere and the big reveal as to who one of the characters were, as it were. It's, yeah. it's something on the level of that, but not by any means like that. So huh. it's not to do with who reveals themselves and stuff. It's more the circumstance where it's a comparison that I'm going with here. Okay. And that you kind of assume you're going to have to go through all of these different tests and stuff like that. But then they just randomly throw out something and everyone's just like, wait, really? Okay, <laughs> sure, let's do it, <laughs> pretty much. And the way they, they instigate that is really cleverly done. And it also allows them to focus on particular characters once again. One of the things that I focused on when discussing episode two was how you could tell there are going to be lots of different characters involved. And the, the possibilities are probably quite endless with the wealth and depth of character ranges you could have in this. And they do explore that once again. And you finally get to see some really cool action happening with regard to some of those characters and just how insanely overpowered they more than likely are. But the other thing that they do in this episode is it also demonstrates when it comes to working as a team, it's not always necessarily about trying to think, like overthink things and really try and analyze something. Sometimes it's just about making a decision and just going with it. Mm -hmm. And they really play on that element of maybe how a past experience can come back to haunt you when you're really overthinking something, but you don't know why it happened in that exact moment. Right. So it's a, it's a really, really clever way they did it. But then at the same time, they also throw another curveball within the curveball that I mentioned a few minutes ago, which <laughs> it, it just in terms of like the actual progression, because I'm not, I haven't actually checked. I'm not sure how many episodes Tower of God is meant to be total, but I'm going to assume it's like, a, a one core 12 episode series at the moment hmm. because it does feel like that they're not that they're burning through a lot of material but some of the things like with, with, with other series you could probably see them taking far more time on it but this series does have a really good pacing mentality of focusing on something in particular and then wrapping that up and then moving on yeah. It's very good when it comes to its pacing and how it is progressing through the story and the things you need to, the things it focuses on before it moves on. It's being very, very succinct and clever with that. While at the same time adding in, again, like some random curveballs or little different elements that they tease or maybe there's just a new character you've never seen before. And you're like, who the heck's that? Is that someone important? And it turns out, yeah, they might actually be quite important based on a tiny little bit of dialogue they said. <laughs> It's like little things like that. I'm really, really enjoying Tower of God and how it just continues to expand this world and almost the rules of engagement, how they are changing while adding in lots of great little hints and teases or making you wonder about a, a backstory of a character, the relationship with someone else. How can these people work together? It's being really, really well done. So if you've not checked it out, folks, I strongly recommend it because I think they're up to episode five now because I'm not entirely sure, Andy. Maybe you can... Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I don't think Tower of God is being impacted by COVID delays. 
Yeah, I think this is probably one of those series that is uh, is kind of mostly or entirely in the can, I suspect. But yeah, I'm not too sure. But uh, yeah, it certainly seems to be one that is uh, is trucking on at the moment. So, uh, so that's always good news. Yeah, because this is episode three, in case, in case I didn't say that earlier, specifically that, that I've just been sort of talking about in a very spoiler-free way as possible. There are two more episodes which I definitely want to watch, but I almost don't want to burn through them in case there's going to suddenly be a delay. Which I know sounds like a really dumb thing to say, but it's like some of the other shows I was hoping to watch, like there's Princess Reconnect that I wanted to watch the next episode of. There's um the Villainous show that I discussed last week, which the entire title of it eludes me off the top of my head. I want to keep watching these, but at the same time, I'm very mindful now. I should actually really just go through the comprehensive lists that are on around online as to what's been delayed so that I don't just get caught in that muddle of, oh no, there's a really bad cliffhanger. I can't see any more of it for a while. Yeah, I mean, I think anything that's still running at this point has not yet had a delay announced. But of course, like that doesn't mean that they're not gonna, you know, fall into into that hole further down the line. I mean, that that is the big problem at the moment is just being unsure as to, you know, whether yeah, beyond one or two shows that I know are, are kind of you know completely done and dusted. You know, it's it's hard to know whether any of these series that are running now are maybe gonna gonna run into to trouble further down the line. And and there are also shows that are running that are are having real issues with like production values because you know clearly they're having to kind of scrape by week by week, and uh, you know the, the 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 look of the series is suffering for it. So you know, I'm, I'm hoping that there aren't going to be too many titles that kind of get get hit by that kind of issue. Um, but yeah, it, it does it does make watching things difficult because yeah, you do wonder like, hey, maybe this will be the last episode, and they'll suddenly you know <laughs> announce that they have to go go on hiatus for a while. But uh, we we will we will see as always. Yeah, and, and it's weird as well. Sort of going back to the Ghost and Shell episode that we did earlier in the week, I haven't actually finished watching Gitsack twenty forty five yet. Partly because, like you mentioned, there is a big cliffhanger at the end of it, which has kind of got me at that point of. I probably should get to the end because I want to see it, but at the same time, I'm at a place where I stopped where I can very easily just pick it up and carry on. Yeah. Because like, just from the way that I think episode eight it was I got to ended, it's very, very easy, I can imagine, just to jump on again from there. So I'm hmm. almost inclined to just wait, just to, just to even if they give us a date as to when's the next arc of Ghost in the Shell going to appear. Like, just, just tell us, Netflix, come on. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised that, that they didn't have. And I mean, maybe they're they're hedging their bets, you know, with um, you know issues with dubbing, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, as, as it currently is. Because yeah, I kind of expected that this would end with you know an, a definitive announcement of you know when the second half of it would arrive. Because I mean, the assumption, the fair assumption is that you know it'll be three months time, and then we'll have the drop of the other twelve episodes. But I guess you know it may be longer as things currently stand. Hmm. And then, I mean, actually, speaking of Ghost in the Shell, I don't know if you've heard, Andy, but apparently there's some kind of new director interview with, like, Kenji Kamiyama about Git Sack 2045 doing around. Oh, okay. I should check I'm that out. I'm not sure if it's on Netflix itself, but I did do remember reading about it earlier, so I should have looked that up again. But there is some kind of director-based interview going around. Hmm. I think. So, uh, again, more preparation involved, folks. That's the way this works on a Friday. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, Andy, what's next on, on your watch docket? Um, yeah, so I, I guess almost circling back around to uh, what we were talking about with Terran Resonance earlier, and, and kind of you know, new presentations of, of things that, uh, that that you may have owned before. Um, yeah, I, I had an arrival from Japan this week. Is that my uh, U, my UHD Blu-ray copy of Akira arrived? Uh, because... Oh, you actually ordered that then? Yes, yeah, I ordered that like way back. 
I, I mean, it's literally like a year ago that I ordered that when they started taking pre-orders. Um, it was around Anime Expo time, wasn't it? Like around the summertime last year. Yes, yeah, it was definitely, yeah. I, I feel like it was kind of maybe around like May, might, might have been May-June time. Like it, it felt like longer ago than that. Um, but yeah, that finally shipped out last week and, and arrived with me uh, this week. So, uh, you know, Akira, Akira is Akira. It is a classic uh, and, and with good reason. Um, but uh, yeah, this is an all-new 4k presentation you know a 4k scan of the the original materials so, and as you what, what was it sorry to jump in but just to ask to sort of sort of set the scene here obviously this is not available in the uk people we should say this is very much a japanese import that andy's got here but j- j- just to sort of set it on the table as to what 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 was the expectation with this and sort of what had they announced was was the big deal about this set andy just to really put it out on the table for everyone um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's mostly just that it is a 4K remaster, and uh, you know, as a as a film that was created on on cells, you know, obviously that that uh, that lends itself perfectly to to being kind of rescanned in in 4K and in all its glory. Um, but this Japanese release does also have the English dub. I think it has both of the English dubs. I actually failed to check last night whether it actually has both of them. Um, and it was two, isn't there? Yeah, there is indeed. There's definitely like two English audio tracks that I saw when I was kind of flipping through the menus. Um, so I'm just assuming that that is both of them. Um, and it also has English subtitles. So uh, although kind of, you know, the bonus content and all that kind of stuff is, you know, Japanese only, um, the main feature itself is actually, you know, fully English translated, regardless of what your preferred option is, which is obviously the main reason why I jumped on it, like my, my, much like the Ghost in the Shell 4K um, UHD Blu-rays that came out last year, you know, it's it's fully available to kind of, you know, to watch and enjoy in, in English as well. So, Andy, how is it? Um, it looks amazing. Like, I mean, Akira on Blu-ray looks fantastic. Um, and so, it, in a sense, like, the, the Blu-ray transfers previously have been so good that it maybe doesn't feel like the most massive jump in the world. I mean, the, the comparison I keep making, or I kept making in my head while I was watching it, is is Ghost in the Shell, which had some pretty ropey Blu-ray transfers, like, both, effectively, like, the Japanese transfers were not that great, and obviously that sort of transferred down to to other releases so kind of the 4k was sort of their chance to put everything right and to make sure that every part of it was spot on which they did and the the ghost in the shell um you know the original ghost in the shell 4k blu-ray is, is stunning looking um so this was kind of it felt like less of an upgrade because previous blu-rays have been really good quality as well um but yeah like that that film continues to look fantastic like and getting to see it in that level of detail is is definitely a, a really great experience you know the the amount of the amount of attention to detail and little kind of moments and and just, it's just the little things about that entire film uh, that really kind of make it stand out especially for you know for its time you know this is sort of pre having your know, digital everything where you can say like oh okay you know there's this this massive piece of glass shattering you know we can just use a kind of you know, computer effects to do that, you know, the the the, the amount of, of work that has clearly gone into this film just kind of c- continues to be a stand-in even, uh, even all these years later. Um, so, yeah, it looks absolutely fantastic. Like, the HDR effects are pretty, pretty good. Again, like, it doesn't maybe pop quite the same way as Ghost in the Shell did, but I, I think that's really just the nature of the film, doesn't have quite as many kind of scenes that, that really kind of, you know, let, let that do its thing. Um, but no, it's fantastic. Like you know, it is the the definitive way to to watch that film at this point. So uh, it felt like uh, money well spent for me. 
I'm really, really glad to hear that. And I know it's a topic of conversation that, that comes up within anime fans that we that we discuss with quite a bit is, you know, when's 4K Blu-ray for anime going to arrive in the UK? Because to be quite frank, Andy, we don't know. Like it's a it's a topic worth discussing while we're we're here on the podcast, but it's like we would love if we could to say just throwing out a pie in the sky example here, folks. We would love, for example, to be able to release a 4K Blu-ray of your name. Just again throwing out a title at random here, but there are a lot of things at, at play when it comes to being able to release a 4K Blu-ray of anything. One of the first things, first of all, Andy, is the fact that 4K Blu-ray is really it's not got a massive. What's the word I'm thinking of? In terms of the amount of people that own the technology to be able to actually enjoy 4K Blu-ray, let alone enjoy it, use 4K Blu-ray, it's nowhere near as big as just general Blu-ray at this point. No, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that admittedly it was like maybe six, nine months ago now, but I think the last figures I saw was it's like literally like 0.1% of the home video market or something is, is you know, people who have UHD Blu-ray players. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that maybe changes and shifts over the next kind of few years, because obviously, like the uh, the uh, latest Xbox One has um, has a UHD Blu-ray player. Obviously, the next Gen One will as well. The PlayStation Five, I believe, is going to go UHD Blu-ray. So we might start to see that you know in more people's homes to the point where you know it's going to be easier to sell. But at the moment, yeah, you know, you basically need to go out and buy a dedicated player, and obviously, you know, they are. They are, they've come down in price relatively quickly, but they are, you know, significantly more expensive than a cheap low-end Blu-ray player, so they're not as readily available. And so, yeah, like, that's, you know, the core, one of the core issues is, yeah, like, right off the bat, you know, you are dealing with a, a niche market, and when you're talking about anime, you're dealing with a niche market within a niche market in itself, um, so, you know, there is the, the very obvious question of, of, you know, actually how many people are, are going to buy it, which, uh, you know, is this unfortunately always the mercenary business question that you have to have with these things at the end of the day. Yeah, but of course, the other thing that factors into how many people are going to buy it, Andy, is it's just the overall cost of production. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, production costs of, you know, UHD Blu-rays in terms of actual just like disc authoring and printing those discs is more expensive. Um, access to the 4K masters for anything that is, you know, already has a 4K master is usually a lot more expensive than it is to access a standard master for, you know, a normal Blu-ray or DVD or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like the costs right the way down the pipeline are, are more, and of course that then means that that cost will, you know, have to get passed on to the customer in in some shape or form. So there is the question of, you know, what is what is a good price point and an affordable price point for people to want to take the plunge on, let's say, as, as an example, you know, your name on, on, on UHD Blu-ray, which, you know, is a fantastic looking film in 4K. Like I've, I've seen it off of the, the Japanese release and it, it is great. Um, the use of HDR in that is is really, really fantastic, even for a film that is not animated natively in 4K. Um, but yeah, like, you know, all of those cost issues all all kind of combined together to mean you know it's not impossible to do and you know i think as we've talked about previously on this podcast you know we're, we're never going to say never on these things it's something we'd like to do at some point but it's really just uh, it's just a question of when all of those various kind of cost and pricing and you know sale considerations all come into alignment to the point where we can actually kind of press a button and say yeah that makes sense now like that's actually you know gonna that's actually gonna you know uh, uh, sort of make its money back effectively and not you know just be us uh, throwing money into it into a, a black hole effectively 
Exactly. And like you said, Andy, it's something we would love to do if the opportunity comes about, but it's got to be, all the stars have got to align and make good business sense. Especially in yeah. the current times. I hate to bring that into play here, but especially nowadays, you know, that kind of throws the, the next big curveball as to when the heck that could happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, my, my hope is that kind of, you know, the, the next-gen consoles, you know, being all kind of 4K, Blu-ray capable will, will potentially help with that. Because again, with the, the, the thing with all of these things is as things come out of being a niche and become a bit more mainstream, then production costs tend to go down across the board you know if you go back into the annals of history and probably the the annals of, of former podcasts that we have both been on like back in the days the early days of blu-ray you know there was was a lot of kind of head scratching and you know that there, there was clearly a market there for people who really wanted stuff on blu-ray but it wasn't quite at the point where the you know the production costs and the the, the size of production runs needed were, were there to kind of match that demand and there was that uncomfortable period where everybody really wanted Blu-ray on, on every side of the spectrum, but the, the, the costs just weren't quite right. And it was it was a really kind of awkward time of having to pick and choose, like, hey, this this will sell enough to, to be worthwhile on Blu-ray. This won't, you know, there were there were some awkward moments of titles that started being released on Blu-ray and then clearly weren't weren't doing the numbers. Um, and so on and so forth. And unfortunately, that, that is the, the way of these things with technology. And we will see the same with UHD Blu-ray. You know, we will see a tipping point where it will become worthwhile. And, you know, we can more confidently say, yes, we can make, you know, a thousand units of something in, in 4K Blu-ray and it'll be be worthwhile. But at the moment, we're kind of on that tipping point where it's it's not quite there um, and uh, the, the final part of the, the equation that we should also mention is that uh, UHD Blu-ray is region-free. So there is mm. also questions around both licensing and production and sales in terms of, you know, that there is no region locking like there is for, for Blu-ray. So again, you know, I can order the Akira UHD Blu-ray without any worries about, is there a region code on this? You know, no matter where I am in the world, because I know there's no region code and, and there, there never will be. Um, but obviously that does that does bring questions in terms of you know licensing content to release in 4k etc cetera, etc cetera, because you know like it or not kind of region locking is is an important part of, of the process especially when you're you're kind of releasing you know Japanese media where they have their, their own home video market to think about as well so all of those things you know make, make life complicated which is, is for us to worry about and, and not you dear listener but you know it does it is worth talking about kind of the the impacts coming downstream in terms of you know why we're not jumping on you know releasing stuff in in 4k where the, the materials are available exactly and honestly andy who knows when we're next going to talk about this on the podcast so that's why i sort of thought it was a good moment to bring it up because chances are i'm not sure if you've got any more uhd blu-rays pre-ordered or in the pipeline for yourself but i don't see a reason why this may come up in conversation again anytime soon yeah yeah i certainly don't have anything else on pre-order i mean i, I think at the moment everybody's just kind of like quietly sitting there kind of whispering like why aren't any of the ghibli films out in 4k yet because that seems like the obvious thing to hit is to start rescanning all of those ghibli movies in 4k and putting them out on uhd blu-ray because again they are all perfect fits for for that treatment um and i'm kind of surprised that they they haven't done any of those yet but uh but yeah you know i mean i, I have i have a few 4k anime blu-rays in my collections so hopefully 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 there will be more and then hopefully someday some of them will be from us that would be nice that'd be really really cool 
So I guess, Andy, I've got one more thing I can talk about. Was there anything else in particular that you wanted to talk about today? Uh, no, no, that's uh, that's it from me. So following on from mentioning it in a couple of previous podcasts, I checked out the first few episodes of Ascendance of a Bookworm. Aha, finally. <laughs> so, Andy, because I get a feeling you're going to be probably be able to describe this better than I can with the way I'm, I'm still trying to process what I saw. How? What was your elevator pitch for, for Bookworm, just to abbreviate the full title, be in your in your mind? Um, so, I mean, I, I think the thing that's interesting about this series, and, and the reason it came up in conversation when we were talking about uh, My Life as a Villainess, is that this is another isekai kind of alternate world series that breaks out from the normal kind of... the, the normal sort of... Um, the normal modus operandi of that kind of series. Like, it, it has the same starting point of, like, oh, character, you know, dies and is reborn in another world. Um, but the difference here is that the, the main character of the series, mine, is obsessed with books and reading and she's born into a world where books are not re- readily available like she's a part of a kind of effectively like a, a peasant family i guess you'd say um and uh, books are kind of only you know incredibly rare and kind of kept to the sort of the, the nobility and sort of you know the, the churches and the religion of this world they're, they're, they're not mass produced exactly um and so much like uhd blu-rays um <laughs> to tie everything together um and so she kind of sets out in this world effectively you know her girl is like well i want to be able to read books again and it's effectively a story it kind of reminds me a little bit in some ways of spice and wolf uh because it's very much about kind of the economy and sort of the way this world works sort of on a fundamental level and and effectively dropping somebody who has a lot of kind of unusual knowledge for that world into it like you know uh, mine knows how to make shampoo, for example. Like, she knows how to produce and create things that are not being produced or created in this world, uh, which gives her kind of a... Uh, which gives her sort of capital, basically, that she can work with to, towards her goal of being able to either make her own books or read other people's books or whatever. And so it's a, it's kind of a refreshing series in that sense, in that it's not a standard kind of like, ah, oh, you need to defeat the Demon Lord. It's like, oh, I need to defeat, like, the bookseller, basically. Um, so it has a very different a very different cadence to it that I think is is why it's become very popular because it is very different from the the usual fare for this kind of genre. So the reason I asked you to give your elevator pitch for it is because I went into this show not reading up anything about it. I know we mentioned it on the podcast and you said be interested to hear my thoughts on it. So I just thought, you know what? I'll do what I do with quite a lot of series and just stuff in general. I just dive in blind and I want to see how I get on with it. Mm-hmm. I really, really did not get on with the first episode of this. Yeah, I think that I think that's uh, that's fair. The the the, the comparison I can make because it's very rare that this happens where I just I'm not into it at all. Really, the the one comparison I can make, which was a series I ended up loving after the first couple episodes, is the original Persona Four anime. Mm, okay, because the first episode of that I really, really didn't get on with. And it might be because I wasn't familiar with the Persona games and it just it felt very alien to me, but not welcoming, I guess is one way to put it. And in a way, that's kind of what this first episode of Ascendance of a Bookworm felt like. I, I thought overall it felt quite slow-paced, but I understand why, because when you've got the, the character waking up as a very young girl who turns out as well has got quite a frail body and doesn't have much energy, so she's sort of... She's, She's got like a lot of you know check marks against her, wor- you know, working against her as to how she's going to cope in this world. Let alone not having any books. 
But I one thing that, that really stood out amongst my feelings of the pacing in such of the first episode is I love the fact that literature is the core missing ingredient in this world she's been reborn in. Mm. Because that, I think, is such a refreshing take, like you said, on the isekai genre of waking up in a different world and being in a video game or something like that. The fact that the main goal is she wants to read, I think that's a really, really cool twist on things that, that, that I don't think anyone else has done. I mean, you could probably correct me if I'm wrong in an instant, but has anyone really tried to focus on the fact that there's no literature in the world as the main problem? No, no, I think that that is certainly a unique selling point, it's fair to say. Yeah, and the way that they elaborate on the fact she has been reborn in another world, it, it kind of just felt a bit clunky to me. I mean, in a weird way, although I've not actually watched like very much of it yet, because... I'm sort of trying to do some like research and planning in the in the back end behind the behind the scenes stuff here, folks. But when it comes to like our eventual release of Utena, I've not seen it before, so I'm starting to try and you know maybe watch that for the first time, try and get into that. And there are some moments where they are sort of showing her in her previous life, working in a library in a bookstore, whichever one it was, and it really just suddenly felt like I was watching the recap part of of an episode of Utena, which was a really big dichotomy. But it's I don't know, there was just something about the first episode where it didn't really feel like there was any reason for, for everything happening that was going on. Mm. Which, uh, I, it's weird that I can't elaborate exactly what I felt, but after I got through that first episode, I actually thought, wow, this, you know, I'm not feeling it. I'm really, really not feeling it. This is It, it almost felt weird because you've heard me talk about loads of stuff, Andy, be it in, in private or on this podcast. It takes a lot for me to not like something. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm one of the, I'm one of the most forgiving people in anime when it comes to finding yeah. something you don't like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the issues that certainly that the first episode of that series has as well, it it sets out its story in a way that feels like it's catering towards uh, readers of the light novels, like because it, it, it very much starts out with a like, hey, like I I solved all, all the problems that I had. Let me tell you how, which I always feel like is a kind of clumsy way of starting things like i mean it's one of the few things i don't like about my hero academia is that it starts with a kind of narration of like oh yeah like i became the greatest superhero let me tell you how this happened because it it kind of drains a lot of the the dramatic tension out of it and i, I remember having very similar sensations to you from that that first episode like i i felt like it was actively going out to say hey this isn't for you because you haven't read the books which is kind of, you know, perhaps completely like on on brand for a series that is all about reading books. Um, but yeah, fair um, point, actually, yeah, very fair <laughs> it point. It was just like, yeah, you know, maybe this is this is this is how you know how the character feels. Um, but yeah, like it's it's a series that it, it is a slow burn and like it grows very slowly into its premise for me. Like, I mean, I'm I'm into the second season now, and I I've had a lot of spells like watching this series where I've been like, I might just like give it up here like it's not really doing it for me but like i'm at the point now in the second season where th- I, there's enough of the world kind of opens up to you that i'm sort of interested in that like it's doing a lot more delving into like the politics of the world and kind of the the class system within it and it's doing some really interesting stuff but it takes a long long time to get there i mean I- ironically given that you made the persona 4 comparison it almost feels a bit like an rpg where you know you get like 15 hours into it and it's like right now the story starts and uh, you <laughs> yeah. know it sort of it, it has that like right we finished this is the tutorial is over now now I'll let you out into the world to actually do some stuff. Um, it almost has a bit of that to it, where 
there is a long spell of just kind of very slowly setting out the stall of like you know what what the deal is with the main character and you know it's it also it weirdly it sets up some some pretty high kind of dramatic stakes for things and then just kind of doesn't really let them drop but kind of resolves them really quickly when it's convenient for it so it definitely has its issues but it's it is a slow burn like i think that is definitely it takes a good few episodes to really start to set out its stall and even then it's kind of it took me a long time to really get to the point where i was like oh i i just want to know more about this world and about this story well, it's funny you mentioned that because episode two felt like a complete 180 experience because I freaking loved episode two. <laughs> there you go. Like, not even joking. Like, I thought it, overall it had far better direction to it and the overall tone in what it was trying to convey. I thought to me, and I didn't actually know that this was based on a light novel series either. Like, when there's already like written material about this thing it's been adapted from rather than to say, say a manga. That changes the goalpost slightly. So I, I, I can probably understand now that you mentioned that why that felt like it did in episode one. But episode two, I thought from an anime experience, it really landed on its feet. Mm. And you mentioned her discovering she could make shampoo. I wonder, so actually, one thing I should mention, this is it's a weird tangent to make, but I think it's a relevant one, especially to anyone maybe wanting to try and check this out, who has also been put off by what I've said about episode one so far. I didn't realise this, but I don't know if you did either, Andy, but Crunchyroll have got an English dub of this on there as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is the English dub, which I've not checked out, to be, yeah, to be I, fair. So when I, when I originally hit play on this, I was really confused because it suddenly started playing with English voices. <laughs> and for a brief second, I just thought, oh, wow, like, did they actually like dub this in the show, like in the Japanese version? This is mad. All right, I'll watch this for a minute or two. And then I randomly thought, hang on a second, this feels a bit too convenient. And I looked and it said there's a dub version and a sub version. So I watched the first few minutes dub just to kind of get a feel for it. And then I thought, okay, I want to sort of check out the subtitled version. And I ended up just sticking with the subtitled version for no reason in particular, because as I've said before, I'm game for dub or sub. I just ended up going with it. I think partly out of laziness of not wanting to change it back to the other video. But uh, I will say that the main character being called Mine, or I think it is Mine, I was really confused because I originally read it as Maine because in the subtitles, her name is spelled is spelt M-A-I-N, but it's pronounced Mine as in like you're, as in like you're talking German. But then I, when I went back and checked the dub, she is called Mine. So the actual character's name is Mine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, that was, that was a, a, a bone of contention I seem to recall from like the original Japanese to, I think both the English light novel translations and the anime, because I think at one point it was sort of, everyone assumed that it was going to be spelled M-Y-N-E in English, because that kind of then very much puts across that it's pronounced mine and not main. Um, yeah, but very then, much a phonetic spelling. Yeah, but then the, the official translations came out, and yeah, they've all spelt it as though it was Maine, which is uh, it's confusing because, yeah, it's it's not, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not right, <laughs> quite honestly. Yeah. I'm but, always yeah. trying to imagine, like, what accent would lend itself to saying that's pronounced Maine? Yeah. Think, like, what accent or dialect? It's the only thing I can think of that would that would contribute to that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's very. I'm not going to try and do an accent or dialect because I'll probably get shot for doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it it also makes me think think of like the uh, the, the Japanese uh, singer who was also the uh, the um, singer for for Sherilyn uh, Macross Frontier, who is spelled M M A Y N, but is called Maine, and it's like this is just it's, yeah, it's just like maybe this is how it works. Maybe this is just all backwards in my head, and everybody else is right. I don't know, but anyway, oh I digress. 
but, but, but yeah, sorry. So um, I, I wanted to touch on that because that was a big thing that caught me off guard. But in episode two, we, we learned sort of how... In a weird way, entrepreneurial mine is. Like you mentioned that she starts to discover how to make shampoo, and that's that comes based on her. That comes from rather her sort of you know discovering. Oh, they're bringing back some fruit and stuff, and can she extract like the enzymes from it or something? And she needs help because she's really frail and isn't that strong. And it was a really cool way just to sort of get the family to bond together. And mm. she's because she's been living in a world like today where, you know, we've got technology. She's used to like washing her hair every, you know, few days or whatever. And she said she basically just said she felt like crap and just wanted a shower. <laughs> yeah. And so she's having to adapt to this that what is basically a medieval time world where there's no technology and how do you get those comforts? And she manages to create shampoo and she washes her hair in it. Her entire family is confused, but then they see how like bright and notably like clean and gleamy it is and then her her sister is kind of like hey could you do that for mine as well and then her mother gets in the friends like can you do that for mine as well <laughs> and, then, and then she's like wait but my name is mine what are you talking about oh there you go <laughs> so it was just it was really really fun and then as well we then sort of discover a bit more of the world because i think it was and forgive me if I'm sort of spoiling a few things here, folks. I'm just sort of trying to encompass episodes one to three, given this is going to be like a two-core show. I don't feel it's massively spoiling anything. That's why I was going to as much detail as I am. But there was the scene where I think the father had forgot his lunchbox or something, or his lunch pouch, as I'll phrase it. And they ended up trying to go to meet him, but mine is so weak and frail, and they live on like the fifth floor of like an apartment block, and she just can't walk anywhere. And then they come across a few of their acquaintances and friends, and we then get that notion once again that although she has been reincarnated in the body of mine, she's retained the original memories of mine as well and is mm. gradually losing her grip on certain aspects of her actual reality. And so she suddenly remembers who all of these different characters are, even though she's never met them. And so it, it, that, that's sort of where this dichotomy of she knows so much for being a tiny young girl but also is still in this world and is having, you know, having to play normal, but is trying to make that delicate balance. Yeah. And and one of the parts of that that, that leads itself really well is when they go and meet the dad and like he sort he takes them in, like into the back office of the gate that he's guarding. And then there's another colleague there who after mine is just wanting so badly to like read a book or she wants some paper, can someone make her some paper or similar so she can write something on there and learn how to read and write? Someone then, like, offers her, like, a bit of slate and a pencil. And it's, like, the biggest Christmas present in the world to her. Yeah. And it's just a wonderful, genuinely, like, heartwarming moment. And just a really, really nice character-building connection. Mm, yeah. And then as we move into episode three, because that's at that point when I thought, okay, episode one I really didn't get on with. Episode two I loved. I just want to dive into episode three to see what happens next. And again, it was really, really fun. There was the whole thing where I think they were doing some kind of like slaughtering of a pig ceremony or something, mm. which was kind of an amusing thing in itself because mine has is clearly now talking quite a lot and has got these really wacky ideas. She basically got told, can you just go and sit over there while we slaughter this pig? Because we know you're going to faint. <laughs> so, but ironically, the pig ends up getting killed right, right in front of her because it escaped and whatnot. So... There was like a fun moment there, which then leads to her being sort of taken to, to the gatehouse again, if you will, and sort of left in the care of Mr. Otto, his uh, his dad, dad's colleague, to sort of recover after she fainted. And that's when 
she sort of makes it known that, oh yeah, I can't really read and write at the moment, but I can count numbers. And then she sort of helps draw up the budget for the town castle, seemingly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's just a, again, it's just wonderful little random, just random moments and interactions like that that are really, really connecting with me. And also it's just some great character building, like how the dad seemingly was getting jealous of her, of mine being getting you know, close to Mr. Otto. But then ultimately what brought them back together was mine wanting to do some crocheting or something and her asking her dad, can you make me a hook like this? Yeah. And then it's them bonding over making a crochet hook. <laughs> and it's just, it's just a really sweet, like random little thing. But the great thing that this show has done in, the, in that second and third episode is really emphasize how these little ideas and moments can really bring people together. And mm. just the impact it can have on the people around them. And in some ways, and this is going to sound a bit... This might sound far too soppy, especially with the way things currently are nowadays. It kind of brings together that sense of community that I know a lot of us are wanting to feel right now. Mm. And maybe that's why it hit me as much as it did and it connected with me. But I really, really enjoy the second and third episode of this. And I really, really want to watch more of it. Which, given how I thought of episode one, I, I can imagine a lot of people may have just dropped off after that episode. If they if they felt anywhere near like I did, yeah, yeah, it's definitely not a series that puts its its best foot forward. Like I, I think for, for anyone who's not read the source material, like it's it's kind of it's it's a, it's a tough watch from that starting point. But yeah, I mean, if, if you're into it that far in, then yeah, I think you'll you'll probably only enjoy it all the more as as it goes on because yeah, like the the entrepreneurial stuff is is kind of one of the things that I enjoy most about the series. I mean, hence the Spice and Wolf comparisons because it has that idea of like oh, you know. Kind of, kind of hacking the economy effectively by dropping somebody into it that knows a bunch of things that you know nobody else <laughs> knows how to do, um, and so you know all, all of that stuff is pretty pretty enjoyable. Um, it's effectively just putting a cheat code into the world, isn't it? That's yeah, yeah, like which is kind of one of the the. It's one of the fun things that Isekai series can do, but it's usually in the kind of, you know, the Sword Art Online mode of, of you know, oh, I just happen to be really good at you know sword skills or whatever. So it's kind of it's kind of fun to have somebody who's kind of you know who has literally zero physical ability um, to the point where they kind of need to rely on others for any kind of you know hard labor, but they have kind of you know the brains and the knowledge to to make things work instead, and and that that really expands out, especially once you get into the second season. Like it, as I mentioned, it starts to really explore like the world in the grander sense of like you know never mind kind of you know making shampoo it's like there are there is this kind of you know whole class system in this world and you know there are there are people who are starving and suffering and it's like you know it, it, it poses some interesting questions around that in terms of you know the main character's knowledge and you know whether there are things they can do to fix those kind of things so the the scope of it really expands and opens out the, the deeper you get into that series like it goes from the very small scale of just like ah, oh, you know it's made some shampoo for my family through to something far, far bigger and more all-encompassing. And, and I think it gets all the more interesting the, the further it goes down that road. Mm. So there you go, everybody. That is Ascendance of a Bookworm. You can watch that on Crunchyroll now. And as I said, it's dub and sub. I think, I can't remember what episode aired this week on the, in the subtitle, Andy, but I think they had the first 14 episodes dubbed on Crunchyroll. And I'm not sure if that's been impacted, the release of the dubbed episodes now, but if you want to check it out dubbed, folks, you have got that option there on Crunchyroll. 
Yeah, so season one is 14 episodes, just to be random and confusing. So, yeah, that is... What? Yeah, season one was 14 episodes long. So uh, that is all of season one that is dubbed. And then, yeah, season two started on episode 15. I forget how many episodes that has. It's probably going to be like 12 and a half or something, just to be really weird and confusing. Um, It's a a 12 episodes. They've gone gone back to normal for season two. So uh, there you go. So it's effectively two 13-episode seasons, effectively. Yeah, basically. And I mean, I, I guess, and to be fair, like, I'm, I'm all for like shows doing that where there's a, a, a sensible stopping off point. Like, there have been some, ser- some like multiple season series that have had really weird stopping off points between seasons just because that's how it's done. Like, I'm all for splitting it 14 and 12 when it makes more sense for the narrative. Like, I kind of wish more series would, would just take that, uh, take that plunge. Ah, so there we go, folks. And with that being said, Andy, before we wrap up, was there anything else you wanted to bring up at all? Be it like what you've been doing, be it how you're you're feeling. I don't know. Uh, no, like, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I, I I now have a second floor of my my house in Animal Crossing. Uh, it took me quite oh, well to find the, took me quite well to find the stairs, but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and also like just just because you know my time isn't crunched with video games enough. Uh, there's currently like a Splatoon multiplayer like free period going on um, on the Switch, so I'm now going to be splitting my time between that and uh, and shooting people with paint guns in Splatoon as well because Splatoon is good. And I have not picked up Splatoon 2 yet, so this is kind of this is invariably going to lead to me buying it. So, uh, so yeah, more, <laughs> more video game expenditure for me. Oh, well, there we go. Now, I've uh, I've finally been diving into a little bit of Final Fantasy VII, and so far, loving it. I, I haven't had a massive chance to play it yet. It's been like I think I've maybe played like four, five hours tops over like the past just like week, basically. Essentially, like an hour a night is what I've been able to make it, but okay. just really, really liking it. Yeah, cool. And, awesome. Yeah, just I'm not going to say anything more than that because I'm going into this thing. I mean, I say I'm going into it spoiler free for like what is it like a 20 year old game at this point ish? More than that, probably. I don't know how many years it's been, but like I appreciate it's been out for literally decades. But I'm trying to go in spoiler free because I don't know what to expect from this new experience of it. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, from from all of my understanding, you know, it's not. It's not. You know, it just because if you've played original Final Fantasy VII, it doesn't mean you know about everything that's going to happen in it. And that's that's about oh, all no. I've heard. So uh, <laughs> so yeah. So uh, so that's that's fair. I, I will I will also while we're talking about random things, I, I will also precede that um, the the second um. Zero OVA has crept up on Crunchyroll as of yesterday, so I'll be watching Ooh. that over the weekend. So look, because of no, no Rezero season two makes me sad, but this this will make up for it somewhat. So uh, expect some Rezero chatter on uh, next week when we record our next show, no doubt. You know what, mate? I'll try and give that a watch over the weekend as well, so we can both talk about it. Cool, awesome. So yeah, there you go, folks. Go and check that out on Crunchyroll. I guess Andy, to kind of set the scene, which which OVA is this at this point? Um, so they are both available on Crunchyroll now, if, if you've not checked them out. So the first OVA, what was it called, like Memory Snow? Memory Snow? That's the name yeah, of the Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so that that's a kind of, that's like a, a fun little sort of side story OVA that was just like, ah, you know, it's fun with ice sculptures and stuff. Um, and that was just a, a good kind of fun, like low impact little, like, you know, spend some more time with the characters, typical kind of OVA fare. Um, the Frozen Bond, if I recall, is like an Amelia kind of origin story almost i think it's about like her meeting puck or something like that so this is kind of this is the meteor of the two ovas i think in terms of both length and in terms of like story content so uh yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to it because like i say i was uh I, I was 
very much up for ReZero Season 2, which, of course, has been pushed back a bit in the, the current situation. So uh, if this if this fills a ReZero gap for me for a little little bit, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I've literally not rewatched any of ReZero since it aired. Not because I didn't want to, because I freaking loved it. But as is sort of a recurring pattern on this, if you listen to the Ghost in the Shell episode, I love to watch things, but the actual point of me going back and re-watching them, despite the thing I may have done, <laughs> I clearly <laughs> haven't. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, it, the, the delay of ReZero season 10 particularly is really unfortunate because we've had the ReZero director's cut that was supposed to be the direct lead-in. And there is there is only one new scene, like completely new scene in the ReZero director's cut. And it is a massive cliffhanger at the end of the final episode that's just like a big mic drop oh god moment and so you know i watched that all ready to like okay now i'm just so ready to watch season two and then i think literally like a, a, a day after it was announced like oh by the way you'll have to wait a few months <laughs> yeah like you know the, the, the first world problems and all of that but uh yeah that was uh, that was bad timing but i'm still i'm still very much chomping at the bit for more zero now, well, there we go. And folks, you're going to get discussion on some ReZero next week. I think we're going to try and record the podcast on Tuesday we were discussing privately, weren't we, Andy? Uh, yes, yeah. Obviously, as mentioned, I've had some time off, so I, I will need to have like a, a bucket of cold water poured over me on Monday to wake me up again. Um, and that was have, have <laughs> be a praise of plenty of things that I need to do. Uh, so, yeah, we'll probably record on Tuesday when uh, you know, hopefully the the water has had suitable effects and I can I can talk like a, a human being and not to say things like Scotland loves London or whatever I say <laughs> so folks there you go thank you very much for listening if you've not already make sure you check out our alltheanime.com online store if you want to hit us up on, on social media we've got Facebook Twitter Instagram and YouTube you can find those at all the anime, just all the anime, one word. And of course, as we talked about at the top of the show, our latest new product early bird offer is for the new Terra in Resonance Collector's Edition Blu-ray set that is available to pre-order at a special price until Thursday the 7th of May. From myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Andy Hanley, a wee bit team, all the anime, signing out. Speak to you soon. Have a good weekend and goodbye.